Hello, Stephen. Hello, Erica. We're in Calgary. Alberta, Canada, for those of you who don't live in Canada and don't know where places are. Or for those of you who do live in Canada and don't know where places are. That's true. Mm-hmm. There, there probably are some people that don't know. Where Calgary is? Mm-hmm. Sure. I'm just covering all our bases that, here. That's good. Yeah, we're in Calgary. We're, we're on a, a little weekend, long weekend trip down to watch hockey and stuff. Um, but usually our little trips away um, that w- in hotel rooms without a convention nearby means we have lots of time to <laughs> watch some Doctor Who for this year podcast, Lazy Doctor Who. And tonight we watched all four episodes of The Tomb of the Cybermen. Yeah, we just kept going. Yeah, we did. <laughs> you're, you're giving me a look. Well, I was hoping that, oh, we're enjoying this so much that let's just keep watching the each episode and everything. But you said, no, let's just get it over with. You're not a fan of the story? I'm not. Oh. I mean, sometimes sometimes I want to keep watching because I'm excited and I want to see what happens next. Yeah, this, this story is, you know, I think as I mentioned at the end of the last one, I didn't enjoy it a whole lot the first time I saw it and I thought maybe seeing it in context would would make it better and it it definitely is is somewhat better to see it in context because you know kind of understand the whole Victoria just joining them and, and that sort of thing but it didn't actually make me like the story any better I find it greatly irritating why irritating I'm so sorry. Like I feel this is why this is why I wanted to just watch all four episodes and do one podcast yeah. episode about it because it's you know like you know mom saying if you can't say something nice mm-hmm. don't say anything so I didn't want to do multiple episodes talking about my feelings on this story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, this is so racist, <laughs> and I know like many other podcasts have mm-hmm. have have covered that in great detail, but it's uh, I. Find it hard to to look past the whole you know use of the the big black man as a beast of burden and then you know a the warrior protector with almost no lines and mm-hmm. who is literally called a servant and just I mean I appreciate that he gets to be the hero but it's within the context of all of the other stuff and then he dies so yeah. it's it's just it's not good it's frustrating it's not that different from camel um in evil mm-hmm. of the daleks really is it I, I don't know somehow with camel i felt like he had more of a even though he wasn't given any speaking lines he mm-hmm. he, he had more personality and more i don't know i just i somehow i connected with that character right. um still still super racist still treated poorly and still not cool so i'm i'm i guess i'm not entirely sure what the difference is or maybe it's that one of them's working for the good guys and the other one's working for the bad guys mm-hmm. maybe that's it and i think the bad guys is that that come that's why i don't like this story it is irritating i don't like anybody don't at all not really oh. i mean that not, i like victoria victoria's was yeah. pretty great um i find the doctor a little bit like I don't love the doctor in this story. He's then I recognize. Oh, it's interesting to have the doctor be so curious about stuff and blah blah blah. And isn't he a scamp? And he it's, manipulative. Yeah, super. Yeah, I don't. I don't like a manipulative do- doctor. We've talked about this before. The seventh doctor is one of my least favorite doctors, mm-hmm. and he's like Mister Manipulation. And yeah, we see that here. I don't like it. Yeah. Nope. I don't. Um. And Jamie, <laughs> like I was mentioning to you as we were watching the, uh, was it end of the. 
first episode beginning the second or end of the second beginning of the third anyway when uh when he, he and the other guy are playing with the controls in the uh, weapons testing room before they know it's a weapons testing room um which the, the bad science in here is I can handle that a little bit here and there in Doctor Who because, you know, right. that kind of thing has to happen in sort of a B-movie science fiction kind of thing. But it's just decision after decision after decision after decision after decision. It's all stupid. Yes, I'm going to set the gun down on the table and then turn my back to it and right. look the other way. And, yeah, I'm just going to start throwing levers mm-hmm. in this cyber security like place that we just got to. Um, so, yeah, so the guy, the, his uh, Jamie's pal who he's looking around with, yeah. gets killed. And Jamie just doesn't seem to care terrible like Fraser Hines what are you doing there's no remorse there's not even like there's not even a like there's just no responsibility whatsoever and the doctor is saying Jamie what did you do and Jamie's just kind of like well I don't I don't actually know which uh which Mm -hmm. which what I pushed just it's so frustrating well to be (laughs) fair okay on a a couple things there because I'm 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 currently stopped after season one of my first ever watch of the original series of star trek mm-hmm. um and who boy the sexism from the 1960s in that show mm-hmm. makes it hard to watch mm-hmm. but i have to try and put that aside and saying this isn't my problem with with star trek this isn't necessarily my problem with tv this is my problem with humanity 50 years ago and it i kind of have to go Ah, you know, we expect a lot more out of the shows that we love, uh, I think. And sometimes we forget that it was made at the time that it was. And we're lucky, I think, more often than not, that Doctor Who doesn't come across as badly dated, perhaps, as some aspects of Star Trek does in their like, sexual politics and stuff like that. Doctor Who being a family show, I don't think we sort of get that, but then we get the occasional thing like Toberman, and it goes, oh, right, this is a thing that was kind of commonplace back then, you know? It was. I, yeah. I, I, I'm not giving it a pass no. because of that. I don't think that makes it okay, no. um, because there were plenty of people back then who mm-hmm. recognized what how crappy that was. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it was... You're you're right. That's that's the way television was made. Um, it still it still sucks, and it still makes it uncomfortable to watch. And for some reason, sometimes it affects me more than others. And I think it's one of those things where you have to kind of judge: Are there enough other things that are good that make it worth you know keeping as a as an artifact to mm-hmm. to watch and enjoy? You know, it's the whole idea of a problematic fave. There are plenty of there are plenty of things that have many many problems that i really love and i recognize those problems um this is just a thing that there's nothing else in it that i love so there's there's no problematic fave here for me it's it's a problematic annoyance i think what what it's doing um and this is i've said this before on radio free scar about how this story is essentially a template of the hinchcliffe era in that it's sort of mining old horror movies mm-hmm. from the past. This is basically a remake of The Mummy, you know, a bunch of signed, uh, archaeologists go into Egypt, uh, go into the pyramid or tomb. I haven't seen the movie, you understand, but uncover The Mummy and a curse and all that sort of, you know. And that, I think that's that's when that, that whole thing was starting, like, you know, the big uh, Carnarvon um, uh, uncovering King Tut's tomb in mm-hmm. 1922. That sort of spurned just this thing in public... 
knowledge. So I, I think what they're doing is sort of playing upon the memes of the movie and the legend in a way. And what's what makes it bad is that they'll they'll play on the memes, racist though they may be, um, just because that is sort of the way it's done, but they're not aware self aware yet to sort of realize we shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. It's a very bad trope to play, but it's something that has sort of always been there. Like the the two, um, the logicians, you know, mm-hmm. um, George Pastel is from Cyprios. I think he, you know, he he, he doesn't have any makeup mm-hmm. applied to him. Shirley Cooklin um, does mm-hmm. to sort of make her look a little more Moorish, perhaps, you know, because that those were the traditional villains and those kind of tales, you know. It looks bad, but they're just sort of kind of adhering to yep. the repeated meme. But my biggest problem with them is their personalities and the performances mm-hmm. and the decisions that they right. make. They're just, I mean, none of them have mustaches, but they might as well. Mm-hmm. It's it, from the get-go. And, and the like I said, I don't mind in Doctor Who when we sort of hand wave actual science and we sort of hand wave um, decisions, decision making that makes sense. You know, you, you got to have some some real sketchy ideas here and there. But every single time, I mean, she, uh, Captain sees Victoria climbing around for whatever reason in the, uh, in the thing and like just decides to throw some levers and and somehow she knows which lever to throw to close mm-hmm. the door and then is about to do something else that she thinks she knows what's uh, what's about to happen. Uh, I don't feel like they filled in enough backstory to let us know like that they should be really under like why would she understand that room and they don't understand the other room. Anyway, yeah. and she's just she's just randomly trying to do crap and it just it just really bothers me and their 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 zeal. Yes, I know they're they're literally zealots and they yeah. are trying to take over the world, but it's just that that kind of character and that kind of story, they they I want to take over the world for the power. <laughs> that will never do it for me. It's yeah. just it's just. I mean, it, maybe maybe it would if it was a, a really great performance from a, a really spectacular actor. So like I'm just saying, like I'm leaving the door open as we continue watching Doctor Who uh-huh. for for there to be another mustache twirly character like that that I dig. Um, this this just wasn't it. It was just one thing after another after another. After another. Sorry. That's, I'm really sorry. No. And that's why I just, I know so many people really, really like this. And that's another problem. I think it was talked up a little bit, but. Well, I mean, uh, this thing was talked up for 25 years, mm-hmm. more or less, because um, it was missing, of course, the longest time. Right. And then, so people would just sort of like, it was this mystical thing. Mm -hmm. We saw photographs of on the set with the tomb set, which is legitimately very impressive, I think, for the day. No, you're not, you don't think so? No, 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 it looks, it looks, it looks great. Like it's, that's fine. Yeah, I think a lot of that was like, there was just this legend that built up and then all of a sudden it was found, you know, all four episodes were found and it was rush release and everyone was able to watch it. And I think there was a sort of, like everyone is very excited. It kind of reminded me of when Web of Fear came back, which we'll watch right. soon, mm-hmm. because it also was <clears throat> a story that has just been like the pinnacle. Like so many, mm-hmm. a generation of people remember both the Yeti and the Underground and the Cybermen coming out of their tombs. I mean, those are formative moments in, in a generation of children's memories. And then you have it played back, and you can't possibly reach those heights whereas Enemy of the World was kind of forgotten about, and so we it had nowhere to go but up. Mm-hmm. And I think for a while, I think that the um, 
the 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 public opinion, so to speak, towards Tomb of the Siren. And I might lay a little bit of blame of this on the feet of Paul Cornell, Martin Day, and um, Keith Topping, authors of the mm-hmm. Discontinuity Guide, who mm-hmm. kind of gave it a bit of a middling review in a book that came out, I think, in 1995, I think it was. And that kind of like a lot of people sort of, re- you know, yeah, maybe it isn't as good as we think it is. Or They're right. <laughs> they're right. I have... I think I've I've come around twice on it. I I once again think it's amazing. I think Good. there are moments in here. I think the cliffhanger to episode 2 is one of the most terrifying cliffhangers for a generation of children where the the Cyberman comes out and it's just such a great shot where the cyber controller is, you know, Michael Kilgariff, six foot six, and then he's got the dome on, so he's like six ten, almost seven feet tall, and there's small George Pastel as Eric Klieg, and you know, who are you? And the boom, and he just grab, and you know, just the height difference. He's mm-hmm. towering over him, and then he boom, and he doesn't say a word as he's talking to him, and then all of a sudden he looks direct at the camera. The cyber controller does, you know, you will be like us, you know, like, and then. The, the camera shot stays on it as the credits roll far past until it finally fades to black. And like the, the, these kids have this cyber controller staring at their souls for a week. And I just thought, ah, it's it was so impressive. Yeah, I mean, that is that's one of those things where if I had seen it as a kid, I, mm-hmm. I totally think that this probably would have imprinted on me in, mm-hmm. a, in a way because of moments like that. But for me watching it now from this point of view, I already hated Eric Klieg so much and not like the way you're supposed to hate a villain, but mm-hmm. just like, I don't want to watch this guy anymore. That when the, when the cyber controller reached out and did that, I was like, every time they did something to him, I was like, yeah, get him, get him. So it, it, it it sort of dulled the effect of that awesome, awesome moment where you get the you will right. be like us because not only was that cool, like Michael Kilgariff turning to the camera and yeah. like the, the ca- and all that, but like the delivery of the line mm-hmm. by Peter Your Hawkins, Hawkins. Yeah, yeah, um, was fantastic. I mean, we've talked before about the uh, mechanical thing that they mm-hmm. use to do the to do the speech, which makes it really difficult to just get words out. There were a couple of moments in here where I found myself like mentally applauding. Um, Peter Hawkins for the way he was able to get so much, and I hate to say it, but so much emotion <laughs> into right. into those lines to make it, or you know, maybe not emotion, but panache. Yeah, he got he got the panache in there so that the line delivery was really super effective. Um, so you know, there are there are good things about this. It's just overall as a story, it's not it's not for me. Mm-hmm. It's for it's for other people. It's for you. There, that's the great thing about Doctor Who. There's there are stories that some people. You know, our, our you know it, it for for a show that tries to appeal to the um, you know the the general public and try to hit every single week. You know, it's it's amazing that they hit with as many people every week more often than they don't. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. And like I said, I, I love Victoria in this story. I mean, she's, yeah, but because she's scared at first, which I appreciate because it makes sense. She has, she hasn't been around. She hasn't seen a whole lot. And I, I, I wish we kind of saw more of that from companions sometimes mm-hmm. from time to time, like just being overawed by things. Um, and then I like the idea that she really, you know overcomes that to some extent and you still see the fear pop up here and there and she screams and stuff and one of the times i love the moment where she screams on purpose as a distraction Mm -hmm. like she's not screaming at anything she's just playing it up and it's just like yeah you know what Uh, tansy has said on verity multiple times that that the ability to scream is actually a super important life skill because you know that's that's 
any kind of uh, fear-based reaction we as human beings have learned in order to keep us alive. So the ability to scream and the ability to express that, that there's danger is, is an important, it's an important characteristic. And then being able to take that and turn it on its ear and use it to her advantage and the advantage of, of those around her um, is great. I love how she tries to stand up for herself. Don't call me Vic again and again. And the fact, Oh, that's another thing that really bugs me. The fact that they just keep on doing it, which I think, is supposed to, like at the time was supposed to read as oh isn't it cute these Americans are just so brash and yeah. raw and I just wanted to punch them in their stupid fake American faces. <laughs> yeah, they're not real American accents for what it's worth. You don't say. No, I don't. Yeah, the captain's like he was clearly watching John Wayne movies to figure out how to speak. Um, Maybe you know he George Rubicek is his name. He's from Austria. Um. Uh, so I think he's done some. Di- I think I read up because I wonder where was he born. Because I'm wondering. I, I think he does like voice dialect coaching now or something like that. Or la- did la- like decades after this, perhaps he was born in 1935. But I'm not sure he does it anymore. But and they had yeah. very like Kendall hair haircut like hairstyles. I was well, like, is that what is that what Americans are supposed to be? They're like flyboy pilots. No, with- I, th- I think that's just with George Rubinstein. I think those are the, just the hairstyles <laughs> I had. Maybe. Yeah, well, by the time that Clive Marison was in Doctor Who, he didn't have any hair. Uh, again, uh, 1987, he was in Paradise Towers. Very good actor, actually, is Clive Marison in his first TV role there as the other American. Mm. Um, I've seen him a couple other things. He's really good. He was he was all right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, was he the which which one was he? He was Callum, Jim Callum. Okay, so he's not the one that got killed right away. No, that's wow. Bernard Holly. Who will be in Claws of Axos later on? I have something to look forward to. Then. I know. Mm-hmm. I, there are so many people. There was Shirley Cooklin, I think, was um, uh, Peter Bryant's wife. I think the producer. That's um, Peter Bryant was a producer on this. Why should we should I should make note of that because this came at the end of the production block. They basically started filming this the week after Evil of the Daleks, uh, with the refilming and stuff. Um, Boy, didn't the didn't the TARDIS look cool on film with an echo on the soundtrack? I don't know if you noticed that at all. The first time that the TARDIS has really ever been shot on film, it it was. Mm. Did you not notice? I at the very very beginning. Very you beginning mean, of the thing. I thought it was a model. No, like inside in. in. Oh oh oh! I thought you were talking. Yeah. Okay, no, that yes, inside was cool. I yeah. thought yeah, it meant from the outside. No, that was that was neat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought it was cool. It always they, they did that mostly to save studio space. But um, the BBC, because Innes Lloyd, the producer for since what Gunfighters ish around that time, um, was moving on, and so the BBC said, "Well, let's give." And so was Jerry Davis's script editor, and so they said, "Let's give a couple of these guys a try because and see how they do." So Peter Bryant was the one that was sort of tested in the producer chair for this story. As I said, it came after at the end of a production block and was intended to, to launch the fifth season. So if there's anything that went wrong, they had time to deal with anything, you know. And the script editor was one Victor Pemberton, who appeared on screen uh, in a small role in the moon base and had, had an in- indication that he wanted to sort of become a writer and stuff. Um, and so, but this is the only story that he was script editor for. He did a great job. Sidney Newman, in one of his last functions as the head of drama at BBC, uh, commended them both, saying that was amazing. Doctor Who, let's keep this thing going. And then he swaddled off to Canada after that. Um, so this is a very monumental story in that it was, it was sort of like, it was kind of like, okay, Doctor Who is doing fine. Let's keep it going. 
make more just like that and so they kind of did and haven't haven't we also determined that victor Pen- pemberton actually wrote that scene between the doctor and victoria he did indeed mm-hmm. which was i mean i don't love it the way a lot of people love it because some mm. people really really love it i think it's i think it is nice i think it's sweet um right. he, he's you know talking about it's i think it's nice until like the very end i feel like he's doing a nice job of ta- uh, like the, talking about how grief works mm. and how how it sort of you know fades away and you're still able to remember the people when you want to but it doesn't take over your life you know it's kind of what it boils down to but then he gets to the end and he's like he he turns it and makes it more about the adventure you know Mm. only only we can do what we do so you're going to become like me because like it it just it it sort of nerfs the whole idea that that it was this beautiful speech about grief and then he turns it and says no the reason that we are able to the, the reason that we're able to, you know, make the people not appear behind our eyes all the time is because we're going to experience so many things and we're going to see so much that right. that's that's the way that it works for us. And now you're like me. So it's it's a little. I, I don't know. I think he's just sort of saying, look what look what kind of life we have to look forward to. Like, mm-hmm. don't you know, the past is the past now. Okay. Look what your future is now. Mm-hmm. Only we can do what we're doing. You're you know, you are mm-hmm. unique. Just, I don't know. It sounded like there was a thread of causality in there that uh, that was that maybe I'm just inferring, and he didn't. The doctor didn't mean to imply. Yeah. But but it was it was nice to see. I, I really like the fact that they actually dealt with that and addressed the fact that that her father had you know she didn't have to watch him die or anything, but mm-hmm. but that that was you know the most important person in her life, and he yeah. was gone, and she was still gonna uh, still gonna have emotions and, and feelings about that. So it was that was good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about um, some of the uh, the wire effects with Toberman and the Cybermen? Well, I think the uh, the picture quality here was too good, yes. if you can say that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, you could totally see not only the wires but like the hooks and stuff as mm. it was holding his his harness. Um, but, but who cares? Who cares? Okay. This was this was made a long, long time ago, and it was friggin' cool yes. to be able to see, you know, Cybermen lifting up Toberman and Toberman lifting up Cybermen mm. and like the the just the sheer ambition of that is fine i'm I, you know me i'm not going to ever complain about special effects mm-hmm. that's good that's that's ambition i mean when you think yes. about everything that happened in this story like they hit the mark they hit it out of the park mm-hmm. in a bunch of in a bunch of ways when it came to the visuals of this story so what if uh if technology that's 50 some years down the road right. makes it so that it doesn't uh that it doesn't look as seamless as it did before well so what that's what your brain is for. Imagination, people use it. Exactly. There's some great. Sh- I mean, I commented about the shot of the last shot of episode two. I one of the most iconic shots ever is when the door is closing, with the Simon is sort of like standing up there to try to push it. Just that shot, <laughs> one perfect shot. It's just a ah, uh, it's just framed beautifully. Morris Berry was a director on this. Directed the Moon Base prior to this. Um, also, I want to say a, a, a shout out to the restoration team because this is one of those rare instances where I remember watching. Um, I'm, it was a great moment for me. I think it was in May or June of 1992. It came out on video in March of 92, I think it was, uh, after it was returned in about January of 92. They rushed release it basically with very little restoration. And that was the version that aired on PBS on a pledge break night episodic and everything um and i remember that moment that was a big moment for me and so i've seen that version which is you know rough around the edges with the film then they put it on dvd like way back towards the beginning of the line and they they cleaned up some of it and they offered that that 
um, Doctor Victoria scene as an Easter egg with Vidfire on it for the first time. It was the first Vidfire Ooh. scene. Everyone was like, "Oh my God, it looks like it's a videotape." But even then, the scene with the with the Cybermen going back into their tombs, I sort of had to dissolve be- around the because there's massive giant film jumps in that scene on the original film, and I was watching very very closely, and I saw one tiny little bit where I might have gone boop a little bit, but apart from that, it was seamless. So the technology to restore this thing to its original glory is has increased and the skill to use that technology is also increased and that's the doctor who restoration team Mm -hmm. yeah so for every wire that we can see now that we wouldn't have been able to see before Mm -hmm. we also have um, you know semi-destroyed film (laughs) that's brought back to life like a zombie like the mummy Mm -hmm. (laughs) itself by the restoration team doing an amazing job Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, anything else? I have one more thing to add, but do you, do you have anything else to talk about? Is it Cyril Shaps? Yeah, we haven't talked about Cyril Shaps yet. <laughs> this is his first appearance in Doctor Who. Yeah, what do you think of Cyril Shaps? I freaking love Cyril Shaps. I've calm about this. He's so neurotic. It's wonderful. Yeah, and that's, weirdly, that that's the kind of thing that I feel like should usually bother me. Maybe it's just in comparison with with the obnoxiousness right. of the uh, the characters that I really didn't like that he was somehow better. But the thing is, he was the one that was making sense. Mm-hmm. He was the only fellow who was talking sense to the rest of these people, and nobody would listen to him. I feel like he was kind of like the boy who cried wolf. Like he was just that neurotic <laughs> all the time yeah. back on Earth. It doesn't matter what they were doing. Are you sure we are going to get soup for lunch? Because yeah. I feel like we could spill it on the controls, and then I, my notebook would be ruined and you know like that would <laughs> so <laughs> i don't know that was the first thing that popped I into like my it. mind and uh and yeah so by the time they get here they've just they've been putting up with it for so long that it's just background radiation to them uh-huh. whereas to us who are jumping into this story kind of in the middle of it are just like yeah listen to Cyril Shaps he knows what he's talking about so i was very disappointed that he got killed off as early as he yeah. did so that is that is a that is a sadness so i just i hope he will pop up again on midsummer murders in another few episodes as we continue our way through that story yeah he was a jewelry dealer or something in some early episodes wasn't he yeah yeah he was in two or three every time he popped up you were really excited i think i correct me i might be wrong on this i know that both george pastel who played Klieg and Cyril Shaps are in a James Bond, and I think they're in the same James Bond in 19. It might be Spy Who Loved Me, or maybe earlier, because I think George Bissell died by then. So, but they were both in James Bond anyway. Ah, well, if you care, folks, Google it because I have yeah. absolutely no idea that it's not my uh, no, I not know. my bag. I know mm-hmm. George Rubicek was in Star Wars too, the original Star Wars movie. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. I'm all, that's what I'm all about. <laughs> Noticing where actors have been in other things. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, oh, how about that location footage in episode one oh. in the desert? Desert quarry. In the quarry. That that looked really good. I mean, it, when when we were watching it, you said, that's a good looking quarry. And up until that moment, it hadn't occurred to me that that was actually shot in a quarry. For mm-hmm. some reason, like I just like, thought, yeah, they went on location to some really you know rocky island or something Mm -hmm. like oh yeah i guess they probably wouldn't have done that that was just a very well very well staged and like part of me wondered if you know if they moved the camera two feet to the right would you suddenly see like you know (laughs) or drilling equipment or something like that um yeah so nice job morrisberry yeah i don't know how they um you know how meticulously it was planned morrisberry is a very meticulous director but there are two great Force perspective shots. The first shot of the establishing one of the little rocket ship, but then the doors. Once the explosion happens, that's another. That's like a thing that's about ten feet 
behind the two actors that are looking at it. Really? Yeah, that's a forced perspective shot there. Dang, that's that is some good work. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Uh, a, a side note: This is casting way in the future, but there's the Sixth Doctor story, Attack of the Cybermen, mm-hmm. which um, partially takes place on Telos. They go back to the same quarry to shoot that. I don't know if that's a coincidence or not, but it it it's, it's, it kind of looks the same. That's awesome. I yeah. it hasn't been it hasn't been too long since I've seen Attack of the Cybermen, yeah. so yeah, I I remember that. I I am. I, I think I'm one of the people that likes it more than a lot of the people in the world. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, we're going to agree on that one. That's awesome. I'm so happy about that. Um, the last thing that I was going to mention, if you have nothing else to mention about it. I got Cyril Shaps out of my system, okay. so I'm, I'm good now. Is that this here story, um, we have to thank, really, for inspiring Matt Smith to be his own doctor because Stephen Moffat gave him a bunch of DVDs. Matt Smith threw this one in and was just enamored with Patrick Troughton down to the bow tie. This was his sort of this. So you see the genesis of so many doctors almost directly. You see Matt Smith out of this. That's true. That's true. I, I had forgotten about that. I did. I did know that. So, so d- despite the the particulars of his character that, that don't strike me great here, even though you know Troughton is doing a masterful performance. Obviously, mm-hmm. he's a great actor. So you know he's he's doing what he's doing very well. So I'm I'm glad that that caught Matt Smith's fancy because I just so adore the Eleventh Doctor mm-hmm. and the way that he portrays him. So I guess I'm you know. Th- th- the best thing about this story for me is that it exists and that you know the people yeah. the people who who love it are able to watch it and experience it and like like you said that that huge outsized impact it has had on the some of my favorite doctor who of all time in mm-hmm. the past several years so so yay for the existence of Tomb of the Cybermen. May I not have to watch it again for a long time. <laughs> well, you'll see elements of it crop up, like the Cybermen coming out of their tombs. Yeah, you will see that happen more than a few times over the course of the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, and that's fine, because mm-hmm. that's that's one of the greatest bits of that st- this story, yeah. I think. For me, anyway. Me too. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's iconic, I think. Mm-hmm. All right, is that it then for this one? I think so. Yeah. I think let's let's put it to bed and move on to uh oh the what did they tell us it was the abominable snowman you betcha Which, yeah yeah haven't seen it so i'm excited yeah only one episode exists episode mm-hmm. two but there's a great recon that i have of it mm-hmm. that has the auto uh narration and stuff and is telesnapped and everything and i think there's a couple little clips here and there but yeah only episode two exists um and i do like that that we're in this part of the series history now it says next week the abominable snowman at the end of the uh last episode of the previous story so that's cool yeah that's fun i do like i do like getting the title for the next next episode yet again proving titles are not spoilers nope let's hope that we don't wait two months in between episodes to watch um that again but no promises because we're lazy yeah as always no promises but hopefully hockey's almost over so it might happen that's true Till playoff hockey happens. Oh, Not with the Oilers, but mm. still. That's true. Then nothing happens in our house for a long time. We have two TVs. Fair. Yep, that's true. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, from Calgary, goodbye. 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 <laughs>